Thank you, uh, Alex, for that reading. As I was driving up from the uh, Kilkeel this morning, uh, around the moorns, between the moorns and the sea, I thought how beautiful it was. The, but in a sense, it was a metaphor. Yesterday, was, the sun was shining, the sea was blue and calm, and uh, this morning, uh, the, the, the seas were raging uh, and rain was battering us. And it was a metaphor really for what the age we're living through. Who would have thought a month ago that we would be in the position we are today? Now, wild as the sea was, it wasn't as wild as the price of diesel. And of course, all of us are experiencing the consequences of what happens somewhere else in the world. Now, this morning, we're dealing with the subject of the life of Joseph, and in particular, the story, or two stories, really. Uh, one was what is known as Potiphar's wife, and the second is the dreams of the two men who were in jail uh, with Joseph. And we're looking at various episodes in the life of Joseph, and we aim to show through his life story the grander na narrative of God's plan for his life and God's plan for salvation. We heard last week how Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. And only the intervention of his brother Reuben uh, stopped Joseph from being murdered by his brothers. The traders who brought Joseph uh, down to Egypt then sold him on to uh, a rich Egyptian. Egypt, by the standards of the Middle East at that stage, at that time, was a prosperous state, relatively quiet. It's what was known as the around about uh, 1999 BC, about 3,900 years ago. So, as uh, Alex has read, Joseph arrives as a slave into Potiphar's household, the lowest of the low. As the new slave, he would have got all the dirty jobs around the property. But you know, he had an extraordinary character and personality. And even in adversity, he stood out. We've read that Potiphar uh, saw that the Lord was with Joseph. There was a spiritual quality within Joseph that influenced everything he said and did. Firstly, he was given the role of Potiphar's personal assistant. And then as Potiphar uh, prospered, because Joseph took on more and more of his business activities, Joseph was put in charge of the whole household. It probably wasn't any old two up, two down. Joseph was probably running a, a large estate. There would have been barns and farms and workhouses, workshops, and so on. So things were on the up for Joseph. Tim reminded us last week that he'd been going down, but now he appears to be on the up. We've read that not only was he prosperous in his career, but he was a handsome, all-round, attractive sort of guy. This did not escape the attention of Potiphar's wife. And she attempts to seduce Joseph, but Joseph saw that this was an affront to his values. He makes it clear to her that to sleep with her would have been a breach of his master's trust and a sin against God. But she's persistent. As far as she was concerned, Joseph was a slave whose body could be used for her gratification. Now, Joseph had no doubt strategies to avoid contact with her, and we read those, that he tried to keep out of her way, but he was in a terrible dilemma. If he tells his master, would Potiphar believe him? Almost certainly not, and it meant that he would have to leave his job and face destitution or worse. You know, sadly, this is not the, the dilemma faced solely by Joseph. Down through the millennia and to this present day, 
There are those who abuse their positions of power to exploit the weakness of others. We've seen the lifestyles of people like Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein treat women as mere commodities. The Me Too movement, while we may have scoffed at it at a time, it's brought to our attention the scale of which this exploitation occurs even today. Despite Joseph's attempts to avoid his master's wife, she manipulates the situation where she is alone in the house with Joseph. And there are some practical lessons for us in this story. As Christians, so I address myself to Christians for this, as Christians we are open to the influences of all the behaviors and values of the societies that we live in. We too are caught in the pull between the, the pull of the world and the desire to be obedient to God. It's a battle for holiness in our lives as Christians, short-term pleasure versus long-term godliness and obedience. I remember reading the story of a pastor who was um, talking to a young convert. The young convert was struggling uh, in his life to please God and live the life that God would have him live. And the pastor asked him to describe the struggle to him. And he said, Pastor, it's like there are two dogs in my life. There's a big black dog that represents bad and a white dog that represents evil and they are, uh, that represents good. And they are struggling in my life, good against evil. And the pastor said to him, and which one wins? And the guy said, whichever I feed the most. So God has called us to live to His standards in a sinful world that is really hard. But He doesn't expect us to do it on His own. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, so if you think you are standing firm, he's addressing Christians here, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand it. It's impossible to not be in the face of temptation in our daily lives. Temptation being that which takes us to sin and away from the life that God would have us live. I had a, a great hero. Billy Graham was an evangelist died, passed away a couple of years ago at a great age, and he preached to the whole world and saw millions come to Christ. And since his passing, he has left a wonderful testimony. God has been able to use his message, and still does through media today, to reach millions with the gospel. In recent years, we've seen the sad spectacle of men of God falling from grace, letting sinful behavior rule their lives, and ruining not just their Christian testimony, but that of many others. But Billy Graham took living a holy life very seriously. He stated in one of his books, I can't live the Christian life alone. I'm a failure. I, Billy Graham, cannot live the Christian life. I've tried. I can't do it. But with the help of the Word of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, I can live the Christian life. And what is the Christian life? He says, it's Jesus living it through me. And one of the little rules he had for his personal life was learn how to meet temptation. Temptation in itself is not a sin, but yielding to temptation is a sin. He said, let Christ through the Holy Spirit do the fighting for you. 
So we saw that Billy Graham lived a life that sought to follow God's ways, and he took care not to get into situations where he was open to temptation that would be difficult to resist. And sometimes we have to run. Sometimes we have to lose our dignity and get out of a situation. Some wag said about Joseph, he lost his coat, but he saved his character. So Joseph was in a situation that he, was unable, that he was able to resist until that fateful day, and the wife grabs him and he makes a run for it, but she manages to hold on to his coat. His strategy of avoidance has failed. Potiphar hears his wife's version. Basically, she accuses Joseph of attempting rape. And we read that Potiphar burned with anger on hearing this and immediately imprisoned Joseph. Some commentators have expressed the thought that we wondered, did, who did Potiphar really believe? It's unthinkable that in those days, a slave who had attempted such an act on the master's wife would escape with his life. He's put in prison and said, and it may well have been that Potiphar had his doubts about his wife's story. But what a disaster for Joseph. After all he's done, all the good he's done in Pharaoh's house, he's the one who gets punished. And I think today that emphasizes to us that sometimes being Christians carries a cost. Obedience to God's Word can mean we lose friends, our careers might suffer, we lose money, and in even some countries it means losing liberty or even life. But we can see in this story that God had a, a greater purpose for Joseph rather than just running someone's household. The second part of the story which we haven't read yet, takes place in prison in chapter 40. And I'll just read it briefly to you. So Joseph is now in prison. But uh, in prison, his personality, his character shines through, and he starts to rise in the prison and ends up running the prison. Sometime later, while he's in prison, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. The, cup, the pharaoh was angry with his two officials and the cupbearer and the uh, chief baker and put them in prison in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king, uh, had a dream the same night and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he asked why they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials with him, what are, why are your faces so sad? We both had dreams, they answered, and there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not, do not, interpret, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded and blossomed, and its cluster ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hands. This is what it means, said Joseph. The three branches are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all Joseph then says to him, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and help me get out of prison, for I was 
forcibly carried off from the land of Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. And when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, said Joseph. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials, and he restored the cupbearer to his position. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So we read that instead of being miserable and deflated in prison, Joseph once again rises to the occasion, and he's, before long he's running the prison. We don't know how long he was in jail. We know it was at least two years, but um, um, those who study these matters think it could have been up to 10 or 12 years. And through all that time, we've read that the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison governor. In this episode, we again see the dominant theme in Joseph's life. God was preserving his life in spite of and throughout all of the injustice and trials that he endured. God had a purpose for Joseph that was bigger than running Potiphar's house or being in charge of a prison. But God was using those experiences to build Joseph's character to prepare him for the day when he'd be second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Joseph is maturing. He's no longer the arrogant 17-year-old who seemed to enjoy humiliating his family with accounts of his future position. Instead, he's someone who exhibits humility, concern, and diligence. And again, I think there are applications for us in our own lives. We can see that the Christian faith isn't just about achieving what we uh, get on earth. It's about pre pre preparation for a greater journey into eternity. Christians believe that we're not just here on our own, but by putting our lives into God's hands, we're saying, I am weak and I need someone strong. I'm endangered and I need a protector. I'm foolish and I need someone wise. I'm lost and I need a rescuer. God works for me, and that means I don't have to do all the work. We come then to the dreams, and so Joseph is, in effect, the deputy to the prison governor. The cupbearer historically would have been someone in a very trusted position. They would have um, had a responsibility for ensuring basically that the, the, the pharaoh or the king wasn't poisoned through drinking wine at feasts. And the, the, the cupbearer had to guard uh, pharaoh with his life. Due to the responsibility of that position, the cupbearer had to be trustworthy and loyal, but they also had the king's confidence and because of his character, was able to exert influence in the royal court. And hence, you can see Joseph saying to him, when you're restored to, to your role and when you're next to Pharaoh, please tell him about me. Please remember me. And we've read about their dreams. Joseph had a, a special talent to interpret dreams. I think there were six dreams in the life of Joseph. The first two we heard about last week, dreaming about him and his own family. The two we read about today were the cupbearer and the baker, 
And then later in Joseph's life, he interprets two of Pharaoh's dreams. Of course, uh, Joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat is how most folk would remember Joseph outside church life. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice uh, composed and wrote the words in 19, I think it was the 1960s of that musical, which is still running today in theaters all over the world. I close my eyes, draw back the curtain to see for certain wh what I thought I knew. Far, far away, someone was weeping, but the world was sleeping. Any dream will do. So Joseph then hears these two dreams and starts to interpret them. The cupbearers with the, the vine, with the grapes budding, the grapes being squeezed into the cup, and then handing the cup to Pharaoh. And sure enough, just as Joseph had predicted, within three days, the cupbearer is released from jail and restored to his position. The baker, on the other hand, was much less fortunate. When he heard how well the chief cupbearer's dream had gone, he, he was keen to tell Joseph his. But the three baskets of bread in, uh, on, on his head for Pharaoh and the birds eating out of them foretold disaster uh, from him. I wonder how Joseph felt shortly after the cupbearer was released. He must have waited on a daily basis to hear the good news that he was going to be released, that Pharaoh wanted to meet this remarkable man who'd been dealt a great injustice. Was his faith, as that, as that message didn't come through, as he wasn't released, you wondered, did his faith or trust in God weaken? Did he feel that God had abandoned him? I don't think so. And the story of Joseph reminds us that God works in our lives in every situation, even the ones we don't understand or enjoy. But Joseph's story reminds us that God never forgets his promises and his love for his sons and daughters. God's timing isn't always our timing. So if you're discouraged, maybe it's a health issue that hasn't, hasn't cleared. Maybe it's your job, that promotion you were hoping to get didn't happen, or that job you'd applied for just didn't materialize. Maybe it's relationship, that relationship you were hoping to start with, with someone didn't work out. And you're thinking, but, but God, I love you and I'm yours, and why isn't that happening? The story of Joseph shows us that God's timing, as I say, isn't always ours. But it's so important that we retain our faith and confidence in God that just because what we'd expected to happen maybe didn't happen doesn't mean He has deserted us. He has a different plan, perhaps a greater plan for our lives. So the machinations of jealous brothers and an immoral Egyptian bring Joseph down to the lowest point of human existence. Devoid of his liberty, abandoned in a dungeon for a crime he didn't commit. Yet, as we'll see in next week's account of Joseph's life, God exalted him to a position of great power and influence that could only be brought through the miraculous intervention of God. And maybe it took all those years in prison to, to, to change Joseph from that haughty young 17-year-old to a man who would be fit to be second only to Pharaoh in ruling Egypt. What can we take from the life of Joseph? That we have a God who intervenes in, a, in history, who comes into the life of men and women, who works through them for a greater purpose. In later weeks, we'll see how that purpose evolved, not just 
for Joseph and Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, but for the children of Israel, a much greater purpose. And we'll also see a kind and loving God who cared for Joseph, who protected him in times of great danger, made him prosper, and through him founded a great nation, the children of Israel. Joseph was an important patriarch to Jews throughout their existence. When Stephen, the first martyr of the young Christian church, was addressing the Sanhedrin shortly before his execution, he describes Joseph as one of the principal figures in the history of God's people and the history of God's redemptive plan for mankind. And he says of Joseph, yet God was with him. When Joseph's father, Jacob, was on his deathbed, he called his sons round him and gave each of them a blessing. And when he came to Joseph, I think his words were very moving. And let's finish with the blessing that Jacob gave to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him, then shot him with hostility. But his bow remained steady, his strong arm stayed supple because of the mighty one, because of the shepherd of the children of Israel. This morning, uh, when we were in our communion service, we were reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we love and our Savior, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as we've seen God was faithful to Joseph, today we as believers must look to, to God in a time of uncertainty and the knowledge that He is the same today as He was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Let's pray. Dear loving and heavenly Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. We thank You that these accounts which were written thousands of years ago still testify to Your eternal nature. They testify to Your love and care and compassion for us. And we pray, Lord, that as we face great uncertainty in the weeks and months that lie ahead, that You will give us the confidence to have faith in You, for You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we pause for a moment, Lord, and we pray for the people of Ukraine. We know, Lord, that they are turning to You in their, in their churches. They are seeking solace and comfort. And we know that You, the, the God of justice and peace, will not uh, leave them to perish alone. We ask, Lord, that Your will might be done, that this great evil which has been unleashed uh, might be brought to control. We give You the praise and the power and the glory. Amen.